are so happy you're joining us on our Brentwood Church podcast. To find out more about Brentwood, go to brentwoodchurch.org. During this episode, we hear a great message that we pray will lead you to a new and deeper level with Jesus Christ. So open up your Bible or Bible app and grab a notebook or simply listen along. Thank you guys um, so much. Thank you, Tyler, for all those nice things you said about me. Um, I feel really honored to be here today. And like Tyler said, this church has been my home and my family's home for the past 10 years. We've grown through small groups here, through serving teams, through the community here. I'm so, so grateful for Brentwood. And like Tyler said, I do serve, um, and I've been so privileged to serve with a team of people who get to go over the content for the messages you hear on Sunday and provide feedback for them. And I got to tell you, I love working behind the scenes in that way. Um, But Pastor John really does take seriously that whole call to encourage people to step out of their comfort zone. So here I am, and thank you for being here. Let's pray together, please. Um, God, we ask you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation today so that we would know you better. Flood our hearts with light from the hope that you've given us, from the grace that you've lavished on us, and from the power of your spirit living in us. God, inhabit my words today, inhabit your word today, and use them to change our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're in week three of The Real Deal, and we're hearing from James about what it means to be a real deal follower of Jesus, or just an authentic follower of Jesus. And we're going to wrestle today with how that pertains to our words. Um, So if you're new here, or if you've um, not decided, made a decision to believe and follow Jesus, we're really glad you're here. And I think you'll agree that our words matter. The words that we speak out loud, the words we speak in our head, the things that we write and we type, they carry weight and meaning. And recently I had some experience with this through the death of my grandfather. He was quite possibly the kindest man I've ever known. He lived a long and impactful life, and he was known um, by all by the nickname Chick which was the name that he got from his older siblings as he was the youngest of six. And he went on to have three daughters and then six granddaughters, so there were no boys. And I have memories of him putting on a big hat and scarf and sitting down to have a tea party with all us girls. And he loved us so well. He served his family all the time. And at his... After his death, I traveled to Ohio um, to be with my grandmother, his wife of 61 years, for the funeral. And I remember she pulled out this shoebox from her dresser of all these letters that he had written her when he served in the Korean War. And as soon as I laid eyes on these letters, I just started to cry. (laughs) Because here was this tangible piece of him. It was just his heart just spilled all over the pages. Just looking at his handwriting meant something to me. Oh, look, there's Chick. (laughs) Um, And as much as my grandmother treasured those letters while he was alive, even more so now, they're a treasure to her, and now they're a treasure to our whole family. 
the words that he wrote was, were evidence of the man that he was. And we no longer live in a world where pen and paper and mail carriers are the only way to communicate across distance and time. In our fast-paced digital world, we can pull out our smartphone and call, text, tweet, blog, video chat, FaceTime, anytime, in real time. (laughs) Just think about all the opportunity that provides to impact people with our words, both in good ways and in bad ways. So whether our words are shaped by the use of our tongue or our keyboards, they reflect who we are and they matter. And one really powerful way that we know that words matter is that God himself used words, both spoken and written, to create and reveal himself. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And Jesus himself was the word made flesh. He is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. God places tremendous value on the power of the spoken and written word, and we have to do the same. And here's what I want us to realize today, that if you're the real deal, your words will reflect a grace-filled heart. And James chapter 3 is really all about this. And the way he starts off the chapter is with a concept that we all need to deeply consider, even though it might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. He starts off by saying, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James is saying that taming the tongue is the ultimate in self-discipline. And if we can grow up and mature in this, then we can experience mastery over every other sin of the body. And that sounds great, but who is not at fault in what they say? No one. We all stumble in many ways. See, right away, James puts every single one of us on the hook for our sins of the tongue. This is the universal human condition. But we can all grow in our awareness of how our words impact people. Um, And he wants us to see that the tongue is both powerful and dangerous. And he goes on to explain just how powerful and dangerous our words can be. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So even, he's saying something even as small as, as a bit in the mouth of a horse or a, a rudder at the stern of a ship or a spark in a great forest, that it has a tremendous effect And I had some recent experience with one of these examples as I began last fall taking lessons in dressage, which is an equestrian sport that is basically the highest level of horse training. But I very quickly found out that I was the one who needed all the training because I had to learn the intricacies of how the bit works in the mouth of a horse to signal all kinds of things, the very last of which being which direction to move the head. I mean, I learned that even just squeezing my ring finger on the reins is enough pressure in the bit to completely change 
what my horse is doing and how she's moving. And this is a close to 1,000 pound animal. So like this really small thing had a powerful effect, James is saying that the tongue may be small, but it can have a huge impact on our life and the lives of others. I mean, we know that a casual, sarcastic, or critical remark can create a lasting injury to someone else, just like a well-timed compliment or encouragement or insightful word can stick with someone for decades and inspire people. But I think we can all agree that criticism seems to stick so much more. These comments can adhere to our thoughts like Velcro. And there's, scientists have actually discovered a name for this. It's called negativity bias. And it basically comes from the idea that negative things have a greater impact on our brain and our psyche Because way back in the Stone Age, survival depended on being able to remember what could kill us. And we know from stories of young people who have decided to take their lives as a result of bullying that words can quite literally kill. And if they don't kill us, then we can carry the wounds that they've caused, even from things that we've heard as children. And I think that James would agree that our words can be very dangerous. He says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James does not sugarcoat this for us. If you are here today and you are in possession of a tongue, then you carry with you at all times a dangerous weapon and um, capable of incredible destruction. He calls it a world of evil set on fire by hell itself. And some of your translations may say set on fire by Gehenna, which is the Greek word for hell. And it refers to the place outside of Jerusalem where trash was burned around the clock. Day after day, night after night, the fire just consumed and destroyed When my family moved into the house that we now live in, my husband could not wait to torch the bushes that flanked our driveway. They were huge, they were mostly dead, and they really just were an eyesore. So I think before we even unpacked, he ripped those bad boys out of the ground and brought them around to the back of our house and lit them on fire. And those flames went so high. I have two boys, and they just couldn't get enough of watching those those bushes just set on fire. Um, Those things smoked and smoldered for 12 hours. And then my husband left them there for another 12 hours just to make sure the fire was completely out before he brought them around to the back of our house where our shed was. And that next day, as we sat down for dinner, I'll never forget my oldest son at the time. um, He was six. And he just pointed out the window and he was like, huh, our shed's on fire. Some, un, some just forgotten spark had, or ember had just blown to just the right place to cause three fire trucks to come screaming to our backyard. And my son later said that it was the best night of his life. <laughs> but for me, it was a really powerful reminder that fire destroys. And something as small as just a tiny spark can be enough to, to cause all the things that we hold dear to just go up in flames in an instant. 
And James says that hell itself is the origin of the fires that burn from our sinful words. And guys, I know about these devastating fires because I've lit them. I have used my tongue to fashion lies. I've wielded words to hurt those that I love the most. I've casually said, just kidding, after I just cut through a friend's heart with a, with a silly comment. I have participated in gossip and then seen the person's face after they find out what I said. And I can't take it back as much as I wish I could unsay that. It's out there and the damage is done. I've used my words to stir up conflict and strife and division. And as much as I wish that I could take it back, I can't. It is a world of evil that causes a lot of damage at times. And James continues, he says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The truth is that no human being can tame the tongue. I mean, have you ever tried? Have you ever tried to just not say anything negative or stop cursing or stop complaining? You may be able to do it for a little while, but sooner or later, those words just seem to find a way out. And it can even surprise us how ready they come out of our mouths in a moment where we're just not on guard. And the reason is that no human being can tame the tongue. It just can't be done. And I think that we all know why. But we're really good at denying it. And that is that our words reveal the true condition of our hearts. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 that from the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. So our tongue problems are actually heart problems. And when you speak, you tell the truth about your heart. And here's the other thing James tells us. He's not even done there. He keeps going. He says that we all have a double tongue capable of both blessing and cursing. And of this he says... My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And I want us to take a moment and just join with James in that lament. It should not be this way. As believers and followers of Jesus, we feel the incompatibility of our sin and the Spirit of God living in us. This battle, this warring flesh with the Spirit. But here's the thing that I want us to really consider is that we should not and must not diminish the seriousness of our sin. And in so many ways, I think James is saying this very thing over and over again throughout his entire letter. He's saying, take a look at it. Don't explain your sinful words or your actions away. Don't blame them on somebody else. Don't be a victim of the circumstances you find yourself in. Take a hard look at it. It's ugly. And the truth is our sinful words condemn us before a holy, sinless God who has been witness to every single one, even the ones that don't make their way out of our mouth. And we shouldn't be flippant about this. But here's an amazing truth that I've learned. And that is that when we understand the weight of our sin, we have the opportunity to better understand the magnitude of God's grace. See, every one of us in this room is guilty of sinning with our words. We lie, 
we slander, we've gossiped, we've exaggerated, boasted, made empty promises, said idle words. And I promise you, I promise you as I prepare this message, I have struggled with the weight of that. In fact, at one point I went to Pastor John and I said, look, I can't do this. I can't stand up here and tell you how to control your tongue because I've failed at it so many times. But I had to remember that even though my sin is great, God's grace is greater still. And I want to encourage you in light of your sin to recognize God's provision for every single damaging word that you've spoken, written, or believed. Isaiah 53 describes Jesus as a suffering servant who stood in our place and bore the punishment that we deserved for every single idle, empty, boastful, slanderous, hurtful thing that we've ever said. It says, it describes him this way, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and did not open his mouth. He didn't protest. He didn't defend himself or accuse the real criminal. He spoke nothing. As every sinful word that we have spoken, written, or thought was placed on him to carry right down to the pit of hell where they came from. All of our foolish words, all the consequences, and the world of evil that they created were assigned to Jesus who never spoke a sinful word or had a sinful thought, and he paid for them in full. And I want us to just linger here for a moment at the cross because it's here that we come face to face with the truth that we can't fix ourselves, that we needed to be rescued in a way that had nothing to do with us. See, I think the average person on the street believes that a Christian is someone who follows Jesus' teaching and example. But this isn't true. Because we can't do that on our own. Even James himself did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was when he walked on this earth. He didn't follow his teaching or example. It wasn't until God opened his eyes and his heart to the real reason why he was hanging on that cross. Jesus didn't come primarily to teach us, but to rescue us. Do you believe that? Do you think that you can just try harder or muster up the willpower to control yourself, to control your behavior, control your words? You can't. (laughs) Because our word problem is a heart problem. So step one to becoming the real deal is to recognize your need, your need for a new grace-filled heart. So Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He gave us a new heart and put his spirit in us to show us how to speak life and truth in a world that is so full of noise. And he's given us three powerful ways to profoundly affect our hearts and therefore completely overhaul our words. The first thing that he gives us is his wisdom. And God's wisdom is so different from the, from the world's wisdom. And the end of James chapter 3 is all about this. James describes worldly wisdom as earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He says it's rooted in selfish ambition and boasting and envy. I want you to think about the person who just kind of bellies up 
to the buffet of knowledge and gorges himself on all the information he can get his hands on so long as it gets him ahead or puts someone else down. This is not the kind of wisdom that we need. We need God's wisdom. And James describes God's wisdom this way. He says, The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It's full of mercy. It's sincere and impartial. God's wisdom is not reserved for the smartest among us or the most beautiful or the most wealthy. His wisdom is available to all of us. And as we learned back in chapter 1, all we have to do is ask our generous Father and he will give it to us without reserve. And when we receive it, we don't hammer people over the head with his word or his revealed wisdom. We let our word speak with truth and compassion and healing. And whose words do that? See, God's wisdom points us to Jesus and the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And what this verse is saying is that it's because of God and his plan for your rescue that you are made new in Christ. And that's, Jesus is our wisdom because only through him can we be holy, righteous, and redeemed. Gaining wisdom is ultimately about knowing Jesus and the gospel that he came to proclaim. And as we believe this truth, and the implications that it has for our lives, our hearts and therefore our words will be compelled towards mercy and love and kindness and gentleness and patience and discipline. And finally, Jesus points us to the word of God. He is the word made flesh. And the word of God is the other profound way that our hearts are changed and affected. God's word is truth and life. It is alive. It penetrates directly to our soul and judges the attitudes of our hearts. And through our humble submission to it, we are conformed more and more and more into the image of Jesus. I have um, had the joy (laughs) over the last couple years, although it's been challenging at times, but I really set out to memorize God's word. And I can't tell you how greatly it's impacted me and the lives of other people because in a timely moment, I was relying on God's wisdom from God's word to point myself or someone else back to the Jesus or the gospel, and it completely brought perspective, and it brought about repentance and grace in a new way. So from the overflow of a heart protected, and I say protected because God's wisdom, his word, and the gospel is a protection from everything that comes at us from the outside. We hear and read so much contrary to these things. And, but when our hearts are focused here, we are protected from allowing those things to go so deep and therefore negatively impact our words. But when we focus here, we speak, and our words can be a powerful tool for good. So how can you tell if someone is the real deal? Their words will reflect God's wisdom, his word, and the gospel. But let's get practical. 
How can we do that today? How can you align your heart more and more with the grace that God's given us? The first thing that we need to do is get into the word and memorize it. Guys, God has established our faith on the power of his word. Read it. Start a reading plan. Use the YouVersion Bible app. There are awesome reading plans in there. Keep studying James. Hide his word in your heart and remember it. My friend Robin says to wallpaper your mind with the truth of, of God's word. I use an, an application called Scripture Typer, and it's been so key for me being able to memorize God's Word. I've been able to memorize over 400 verses by using this app. You can also do note cards, whatever it takes. We all know those verses that cut right to the heart. We know those things that we hear, and we're like, oh, I don't live that out. I don't believe that. I need to know it and hide it away in my heart so that it can start to affect me and change me. And God's Word is so powerful to do that. Secondly, we need to remember Jesus and what he's done for you. All of God's word points to Jesus. So let's remember him. You can do this by taking communion today. You can remember that his body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. And if your heart is directed and focused on him, will hate and crude words and criticism just come out of your mouth? Or will you be more likely to speak with grace and kindness? Will you be more ready to give for forgiveness? I have a friend whose mother is battling cancer right now. And I'll never forget what she said as she began to lose her hair. She said, if Jesus can hang in complete humiliation on a cross and die for me, I can handle the humiliation I feel from losing my hair. She's not alone. She knew she wasn't alone, and those words flowed from a heart that was fixed on Christ. And even Paul said that he resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we, his words that, flew, that flowed from that heart are changing the world and continue to as we read through the epistles. Remember, thirdly, that your words have the power to create and destroy. I want you to do something with me right now. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to get a picture in your mind of the face of someone that you have hurt with your words. Is it your child, your husband, your wife, your brother or sister or friend? Can you see the hurt that your words caused? Remember that face. Our words can destroy trust and confidence and love. And now I want you to get in your mind a picture of the face of someone whom you have spoken hope or grace or encouragement to. And can't you just see the beautiful difference that your words made? Remember that your words have the power to create and destroy. And finally, some of us just need to be quiet. If you need wisdom, the Bible gives us a really great place to start. Just be quiet. Listen. Seek understanding. James said back in chapter 1 to be quick to listen and slow to speak. 
And how many of us do the exact opposite of that? We're quick to speak and very slow to listen. And this includes our activity online, our blogging and texting and commenting. We, we, sometimes we just need to sit back and be quiet. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. Here are just a couple examples. Proverbs 17, 28, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from trouble. A man of understanding remains silent. It's like understanding and listening is a prerequisite for understanding. So some of us just need to be silent and not just have in your head the next thing you want to say, but to truly decide, I'm going to listen. I'm going to seek understanding here. A babbling fool will come to ruin. I think we all know a babbling fool. Oh, that you would keep silent and it would be your wisdom. See, we all need help in this, but God has not left us to to figure all this out on our own. He's given us his word. He's given us his wisdom. He's given us the spirit of God to help us. If you're the real deal, your words will reflect a grace-filled heart. Let's pray together, guys. God, forgive us for all the ways that we've used our words in destructive ways. Set a guard over our mouth and keep watch over the door of our lips that we might use our words to reflect your wisdom, your word, and your gospel. God, fill our hearts with your spirit, with your grace, that we would be compelled towards obedience in this. And I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. for listening today. We believe that everyone has a next step towards Jesus and we'd love to help you take yours. Email us at hello at brentwoodchurch.org or visit our website brentwoodchurch.org slash next steps. Until next time, go change the world.